podcast fam? Hope you are doing well. I just want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to the content that I put out. It means the absolute world to me. I genuinely hope that you enjoy this podcast. If you do or have any questions or just want to provide feedback or want to say what's up, best way to get in touch with me is through texting me. You could text me at 631-250-6950 if you're in the US or if you're on WhatsApp, you could text me at one 833 So if you want to reach out, that'd be fantastic. If you want to subscribe, there's going to be a new podcast every single day. So definitely come back, get your contact, content fix, and uh, stay tuned. And if you want to see the clips of each of these, these, these podcasts, you can check me out on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook and you see the clips or the full video versions on YouTube. Thank you so much and enjoy the podcast. channel my name is jacob restituto and i have the huge honor of having josh come be here on the channel so thank you so much for taking the time man i think it's gonna be a really really interesting conversation i know that a lot of people are excited for this conversation so thank you for taking the time oh no dude it, i mean it's truly an honor to be here and you know i love getting into the weeds on all things nerdy all things music so <laughs> let's go man i'm excited absolutely well first off i want to compliment your studio so if I let me let me see if I could uh, zoom out for a second so that everybody can see the full sp uh, screen of yours because you, you had a cool studio going on over here. Here we go, there we go. Like let's see a full studio. It's pretty cool, man. Like you got some cool gear going on. <laughs> yeah, so. it's funny because I'm I'm mostly in the box, mm. but like there's a few. I like being able to manipulate what's in the box a lot of different ways, and so like a lot of what's on the desk here is stuff that's controlling software, sure. but it's it's physical. Like I have like the uh presonus adam sq that i love and the soft tube uh console one down here which is incredible and i actually use a a pin tablet like a wacom stylus rather than a mouse really uh, interesting i have been debating that for a long time that's funny that's cool yeah I, and that the so, um the uh the the fader thing that you're talking about i forgot what was the name of the thing um the soft tube yeah the soft tube yeah so the control i've been looking into that for a while too but what do you use ableton or do you use uh uh logic Man, I'm actually in PreSonus Studio okay. One. Okay, so that's why th th that works so well. Yeah, that's yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Cool. So for people that are, we, we're going right into it. But for, for people that aren't familiar <laughs> with who you are and what you're up to, can you give a little backstory on who you are and the things you've done? Yeah, I mean, I'm a gigantic musical accident, <laughs> and uh, a great people. Uh, I started my uh, working. I went to USC for music business. I had no idea you could make a living making music, mm. not the slightest clue. I interned for free, getting people coffee and all, and that led me to a licensing space on the business side for about a year. From there, via Craigslist, I met super producer Toby Gad, which is insane because, and Toby's responsible for songs like All of Me for John Legend, Big Girls Don't Cry, like <sighs> If I Were a Boy, songs that you hear and you're like, how did a human being write this? Like Toby wrote those songs. Sure. Um, so I met him on Craigslist cause he was looking for like an assistant engineer and all the stars aligned. I ended up working with him for half a decade and went from being his assistant to him mentoring me. We produced Madonna together and that started this whole cascade of insanity. Uh, and all of a sudden I was working with all these amazing artists. And out of that, I ended up, uh, doing a feature with Armin Van Buren, the DJ, and that unbelievably exploded and went number one in the Netherlands and launched my artist career. And now here we are. <laughs> it is so wild. And I, the, the face, you should have seen my face when you said that it's from 
Craigslist because I, I spoke to somebody yesterday and he got his start on Broadway, dancing on Broadway and in the Heights with Lin-Manuel Miranda and all that whole that. I mean, the whole thing right now from a Craigslist ad. It's like, like who even knew that Craigslist <laughs> was still relevant? Uh, I mean, you, you mentioned that was a while ago and it was a couple years. It was a while. It was about 10 years ago for him. But still, it's like that is that the irony of that is is not lost on me. That is such a crazy story. You know, I think there's something magical about Craigslist because let's just all call a spade a spade. There's a lot of kind of junky stuff going on on Craigslist. Sure. So it sort of creates space where if you are at least hardworking and like want to be good at your craft, it puts you in like a rare category. So if somebody's making the mistake of running a dragnet on Craigslist, which is fun and entertaining in and of itself, and then somebody comes along that's like, hey, wow, this person actually wants to work hard mm. and isn't like, you know, collecting dolls in their basement not against anybody who likes to do that but just saying uh you know I, I think it really differentiates you yeah absolutely that is so fascinating so you start with him uh then you you kind of start it kind of just at the, started from the bottom now we're here right <laughs> the exactly. exactly a little bit what, above the bottom <laughs> what what one of the few songs that you didn't write though man i was looking at your song like your your discography song credit list and it is there there was hun- like a hundred songs on there that like everybody would know you know, working with, uh, like, even in the description of this video, like, working with Kygo, working with um, Madonna, Janet Jackson, Hilary Duff, C- Alex and Sierra, and then some <laughs> more more recent names is, like, uh, Sabrina Carpenter, Olivia Rodrigo, like, like names that everybody knows and songs everybody knows, man, which is, cr- like, how does that, how do you go from, you know, getting coffee to now writing some of the mo- more most popular songs of, of the year at the time? I mean, for me, the mentalities, I love that Bruce Lee quote, be like water. I think he was talking about fighting (laughs) and like how you always have to adapt to each situation and fill the space that you're given. But I I take it as kind of a way to approach opportunity and think about like, at the end of the day, I'm fueled by my love for music. And Mm -hmm. I didn't even think I was going to make money in music. I just wanted to be in the business so I could be close to it. So as opportunities came, it was like, you know, when I started working for Toby, it was, hey, you have this record label project that you're doing. You have these artists. Maybe I can produce songs for them, like covers for YouTube. And Toby was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Go for it. Like, it's not something that he's, it's necessarily, he's thinking, I want to do this. I'm not coming in saying, oh, I, I get to do what you do because he does what he does. I'm saying, mm-hmm. what can I do that you don't want to do that looks a little sure. bit like what you do, but isn't going to impinge like on what you're doing in any way, you know? Sure. That's fascinating. And then it's just one day at a time. How long have you been in the industry for? Uh, man, I've been, I like, I got my first job in the industry about a decade ago, actually. And I signed my first publishing deal in 2016. So that was okay. five years. So for the people that aren't super familiar with that, can you explain what that means? Yeah, I think a lot of people look at publishing deals as kind of like the grail of like, I'm an official songwriter, producer, whatever. I got a publishing deal. And it's not that, but it's a helpful benchmark as far as like publishing companies will give you money up front and advance on your future royalties. Say, hey, you can go dedicate your life to this, spend all your time making music, and we're confident you'll make the money back. And wow. hopefully yeah. you do. Um, so That's I a kind great of explanation that, of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just look at that as like the first kind of moment where I was like, okay, now, you know, I've got X amount of years of runway from this. I can really, I don't have to be working you know, eight hours a day as an assistant, and then six hours a day after that, making, you know, music at night, I can, I can do it all. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's so encouraging. 
And I, I love the fact that you said that you didn't know you can make money out of it. And that is one of the, you know, I, I'm not sure if I've mentioned this in the original email where I reached out to you. Um, but that's kind of the goal of these conversations that I have with people is like, you know, for so long, so many people told me that it wasn't possible to do anything in the music industry. You know, I have this one random story from a person I used to work in. I used to wear so many hats, you know, trying to trying to make ends meet. Right. Yeah. I, at the time, I was working in an art gallery and I met this one per random person came into the art gallery and they were like, oh, what do you do? Kind of thing like outside of, uh, you know, like this. I was like, oh, I'm a musician. This She didn't know me from Adam. She's like, oh, I'm sorry. And I'm like. You don't know me from anybody. And like, and it's like comments like that. They just like compound. It's like now, you know, that it's things have worked, worked out. It's become my full-time job. Like I want to encourage other people that don't, may not have the encouragement that I might've had from like my parents or something like that, or my wife, you know, that it is actually possible if you are willing to put in a stupid amount of work and a decent amount of time, you know? Yeah. And if you don't have a certain egotistical attachment to what your Korean music looks like, mm. and I've seen a lot of people. I think misstep in this regard where they consider themselves above something like there's it's so funny to think about now but like go back to when i first signed my first publishing deal with bmg shout out to andrew gould and zach katz and all those people thomas share great humans um they were sending some of the songs i was working on to like korea and at the time this was pre-bts mm -hmm. there were writers and i'm not naming names but there were writers who were like i don't want a korean song you know, like, like, it's just not, it's not the U S market, sure. not that they had anything against Korea, but they were just looking at it thinking, I don't want to get cuts in this country because it's not Ariana Grande. And if it's not mm -hmm. Ariana Grande, I don't want it. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of those people really disadvantage themselves because they missed that serendipity that happens when mm -hmm. you are humble and allow your music to be everywhere. Exactly. Know? Absolutely. Humility has is such a big aspect of it, man. And doing some certain gigs. And I'm sure you have the stories like doing the craziest gigs, like, you know, like I, I told the story yesterday, the person I was talking to, that I, I played one of my first gigs. I, there was nobody in the bar and it was so empty that the bartender went into the back. So I was literally playing for no one for two hours. And I'm like, <laughs> but it's like you look back and it's like, wow, I, I can't believe I did this stuff. But like those are the building blocks to, you know, like you mentioned, like you had you, you put in you put in your work and stuff. And absolutely. So that is so funny. And I, I couldn't agree more. So what is, how does the relationship, like, how do you build relationships in the sense of like, wh where do you start where you, 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 you starting with these songs, you're writing these songs for people, you're working with Toby. How does something today, like, you know, you get land a songwriting thing or with Olivia Rodrigo or, you know, Madonna, like, does that, do, do you just write the song and then pitch it out to people or how does that work? To some degree. And I, I would say it definitely varies based on. The project and on the climate and i candidly i think right now it's a little bit harder to pitch songs in the us than it ever has been um partially because i think with covid a lot of artists quarantined down with like one or two mm. creatives and we're like okay i'm gonna do a body of work with this person and because because i think a lot of what fuels demand for our craft is artists on tour who don't have the time to sit down and write 30 songs and pick the best 10. so they depend on this outside machine and right and since tours were canceled it really, I think, put a strain on that system. So I'd That's say right really now, interesting. I, it, I've been trying to evaluate it because the business is always changing, you know, sure. and, and also we've got the other side of things too, where people are learning to produce and to create, sure. which is amazing, but it definitely waters down the, or I guess it expands the pool to the point where now you've got a lot more people making. And then the question is, are the judges at the checkpoints 
judging things based on the absolute goodness of the work or based on the ease of access or expense. You sure. Know? Yeah. That is really interesting. What, what, what do you think, you know, what defines a good song for you? Like, <laughs> you know, being that you've written so many that so many people know, or you at least worked on with some, actually, what does that process look like before we even go to that? Like how much, when you co-write a song, um, or have credits on the song, how much of is it actually you versus another person versus another person? Like, do you guys have writing pools or how does that work? Um, that's a great question. I mean, it, it depends. COVID really changed a lot of workflows. Sure. Sure. where a lot of things went offline like traditionally it's always like you know i'll, I'll invite in a songwriter or a songwriter and an artist or whoever you know as, as many people and we all sit in a room together we talk about life for an hour or two and then somebody says that one thing and you're like oh my god we should write yeah. a song about that yeah and then you follow this little thread hoping there's a sweater at the end and huh. go down all these little rabbit holes and end up in a place of pure misery and if you can just tolerate the misery long enough there's a song on the other side, almost always. I you know? couldn't agree more with that statement. Every song I've ever produced or like written, because uh, I produce my own music. So like every song, like I write the song, I start producing the song. And then there's that point where you're like, I hate this with every core of my being. And it, it's right after you break through that, that everything just like flows like a river. It's like, oh, now that song's coming along. But you got to push through that exact point. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think part of it's you, you get tired of listening to what you did and- <laughs> you kind of feel like you've exhausted all the options. You don't know sure. where to go at that point. And then the other side is like, there's this continual war in your mind, I think between the creative and the critical and they sure. can't exist simultaneously, but the faster you oscillate between them, the more exhausted you get. So you sort of hit this point of exhaustion where you're trying to critique this, like, look, is this good? Is this mm. going to work? Does this have commercial appeal, blah, blah, blah. And the creative's going like, dude, just shut up and have fun. And mm -hmm. these things are at war and they eventually tire each other out. And it, that's what I think you have, really have to work through every time. Yeah, that is really interesting. So leading back to that original question of what makes a good song. But before that is, um, I'm curious because a lot of well, people, people often see the, the, the glorious side of things, but they don't see the work that's put in. So I'm curious, like, you know, you have the huge list of songs that a lot of people know. How many have you written or do you can you estimate how many you've written or even released like through writing and stuff that never really got with the, the, the glory? You know what I mean? I mean, I, it's funny because I've talked to a lot of people about this ratio, this exact ratio. And um, gosh, for me, it's probably got to be five unreleased songs for every one released. Maybe six. Okay. Okay. And and I'm pretty proud of that ratio. Um, I think I, that's a great. That's actually better than I thought it was going to be. Like, so that's actually really impressive. I mean, it's I'm and I'm averaging it over time. Like at the beginning, it sure. was insane. You know, it was one for every fifty. Yeah. And and I'm not. I don't even count those songs. You know, because it took a long time to even learn to the point where I I kind of knew what I was doing. Not that I know mm -hmm. what I'm doing. Um, but I, I've talked to a lot of other writers, and it seems like the even the guys at like the top of the game, the guys who you think man, this guy could, you know, rub a violin bow on a tire and somebody would be like, that's, that's a hit song. Like those people are still three out of 10, maybe four sure. out of 10 songs get cut. Like it's the failure ratio is really high, even mm -hmm. at the top, you know, it's, it's, it's like baseball. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Some of the best batters up there have like a, what, a 3.5 ratio, a 0.35 ratio, you know, like so yeah. that's, a, that's a great, that's a great analogy actually. Yeah. So now from that being so, if you maybe one out of every five or six that you write, what makes that one like the good, the hit song, the good song? What, what's a hit song for you? Uh, I mean, it's there's 
a couple different checkpoints. There's the first checkpoint is goodness for me. And part of me will never be satisfied with the song. And every time a song comes out, I'm like, ah, I could have done 300 things better 100%. now that I'm Spotify, you know? And you, you have to make peace with the horribleness of that experience. Um, but I do look for like those goosebump moments. And I always try to think like, while I'm listening back to the song after I've written it and I'm kind of auditing it, think, am I bored? Am I interested? Mm. Is this getting past my psychological barriers and getting into my like soul and my emotion in a way? And if, it, if there's that moment where I think it's called frisson, it's like the goosebumps that you get from music, like the physical response to an auditory stimulus, then I'm like, okay, for me, that's, that's as good as I can do. Mm. That's a hit for me. And then from there, there's this Harvard study that talks about um, intellectual property that my friend Fernando Garibay told me about. And the premise or the discovery of the study was that the goodness of a product, like the successfulness, is 10% the quality of the product and 90% the network that has to be activated to distribute it. So all we can do is control that 10% and make it as good as it can be. And then from there, it has to be the artist has to be mm. in love with it and the label has to be in love with it and the distributor and the radio people and the localized people and the PR people in each territory. Like it takes so much to make a hit and all you can do is control that 10%, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That is really interesting. Cause you said, like you said that the, because how many songs have you heard from like right guys at like coffee shops? You're like, Oh my gosh, this is a brilliant song, but that that's a 10%, but the 90% is the marketing that never, you know, was fulfilled in it you know what i mean that is really interesting it's kind of i think the, the same debate could be for an artist too you know like maybe 10 percent, 20 percent is actual talent the rest is marketing and likability and relationships and, and work ethic and stuff so that is really interesting so what does a typical day look like for for you you know because i know you you also have your own original music too mm -hmm. yeah it's it varies pretty wildly depending on kind of what projects i'm working on at the moment i mean i have i'm very very fortunate i have my studio here in my house uh which is such a blessing and i'll usually wake up and you know walk the dog work out have coffee all that jazz try to like get in the headspace where i have the freedom to create because something mm -hmm. that i also learned so so late for me in my songwriting career was that creativity is the highest evolutionary function of your brain so like, as an example, if we were cavemen, you're not going to be drawing on the wall if you're like, dude, a saber tooth mm. tiger is going to come eat me. Mm -hmm. So like, you have to convince your brain somehow that everything is okay. And there is no imminent threat to the world. Interesting. Sure. And, and I find like, I know a lot of writers who have, you know, talked about struggling with writer's block and stuff, and they're running from thing to thing. They wake up, they're immediately thrown into the fray of anxiety of the business and negotiations and splits and politics and all that. Sure. And I think that that primes you to not want to be creative because you're like, man, I have to deal with all these threats. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, even even that one thing you mentioned, like, say, talk about splits really quickly. Like, there have been times where I've been like, hmm, like, do I want to work with this artist? But, like, I, I don't even want to think about, like, a contract with them and, like, trying to figure. And then that immediately puts a, a, a pin in the bubble of, of the creativity because, like, Okay, how am I gonna have the conversation of it? Do I get eighty percent? They get thirty percent because they only wrote the you know one verse. And it's like then it's just like it becomes awkward. Then it like absolutely. So that's a great, great, great point. Yeah, I mean it's it's just something. I think that that's that can really be a struggle. And not to go off on a on a tangent, but I will say briefly to that splits thing. I wish I could go back and take back every time in my career that I ever 
tried to split a song based on contribution in the room. I wish I could go back. It's one of the few deep, deep regrets that I have, like, because I think it really cheapens your creativity and takes away the freedom of expression when people start to think, okay, now I have to make sure I put enough words on this paper or enough melodies in the air <laughs> that I deserve, you know, an equal share of this song. And I think I'll, most young writers do it and I'm guilty. I've done it in my younger days and I will never do it again. It's like one of my like biggest things I like to pass on is like, don't know. How would you do it now? I mean, obviously there's limitations to, you know, split it evenly in the room because sometimes there's a manager in the room and then that's kind of a different thing or you know, <laughs> someone, someone brings their girlfriend who just sits there. And like, I'm not saying, you know, no offense to the girlfriend. I'm not saying give her an equal share. But when it comes to people who are actually creating and involved in the copyright, man, life is life is long. And there's many, many ways where if you have that mentality and somebody pays it back to you, yeah. it'll even out over time. Yeah, absolutely. So you're essentially saying relatively give everybody an equal share, even if they that is interesting because they also contribute while they might not have contributed the that exact amount of lines or something like that. Just being there, they might have sparked. They might have said something that triggered something that you created. You know that that whole new verse based on the, the one word that they said. You know what I mean? Like that is a great, but that is a great idea. I like that a lot actually. And the, and the and to add on to that, sorry, like no, no, just one other thing that you can do that I I would love to, like a perfect world, and I've done it myself. If you feel like you walk away from a session and go like, man, you know this person really lifted. Like this person carried the team. You know, mm -hmm. I have in those scenarios hit up that person or their team and been like, hey, can you have more than me? Like, mm -hmm. can you? Because I don't feel good about taking this from you. I like you. You brought the magic today, and that song wouldn't have happened without you. And nine out of ten times they say no. But if you give <laughs> someone that level of like sure. trust, I just think it goes so far. You know? Yeah, man. There's this principle that, 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 that the more you give out, it always comes back tenfold. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yep. I couldn't agree more. So uh, a question for you. Like we, talk, we were talking about like you know creating the. This is actually from a subscriber. So shout out to Vanessa that asked this question. Um, uh, they. Uh, so we were talking about how you said you know creativity is the highest level of you know pretty much like humanity right and creating a space where you you know there's less threats right how do you deal with it once you do all that how do you personally deal with writer's block um which is probably I, the most common question you've ever gotten but no i mean it, it's every day is different but i have some overarching principles that kind of guide me sure. and the biggest biggest one is dare to suck it's start with something bad. And I find a lot of times when I work with writers and we're getting stuck, I'm like, hey guys, can we just start with something? Like I'll say something intentionally terrible. Like that it's like a line we would never use. Something ridiculous or in a, like maybe inappropriate or whatever. It's just something that's like makes people laugh and go like, Pfft. because mm -hmm. you start taking this so seriously and it yeah. siphons all of the play out and creativity and play are just so intertwined. Sure. So for me, I find when I have writer's block, it's because I'm something is putting pressure, mm. whether it's conscious or subconscious, you know, whether I'm thinking like, oh, you know, I don't know, like uh, thinking about money or thinking about the success of a record or something else. There's something that's putting pressure on the creativity and it's making it go, I need to perform and creativity does not like that. Sure. That is a great, great answer to that. And it makes me think of the song by Hootie and the Blowfish, The Hook. You know, if you, like that, if you ever looked at the lyrics of that song, it is the most wildly written song. Like it, 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 may, it, it makes me as a songwriter be like, what am I doing wrong that this song is so popular and everybody knows the words to it, but he's literally like 
talking about how I could sing. His literal words are pretty much like, I could sing anything I want as long as the hook is catchy and you guys will sing it back. And it's like, what am I doing? <laughs> but you're yeah. right. It's it's that playful, creative aspect that like they kind of got out of it and they wrote a great melody because of it. And now it has a billion streams. I mean, think about, imagine, and I don't know the number, but imagine how much money Baby Shark has made. Oh my a, gosh, sure. You know? And, and the sad thing is, some things that we look at as like these penultimate expressions of musical art are not going to even come close to the amount of money that Baby Shark makes. Exactly. But I'll tell you one thing. I bet you they had a great time in the studio writing that ridiculous. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Um, another really interesting question, kind of leading off of the, the writer's block and continuing the writing thing, is the uh, how, what do you prefer, uh, writing about personal experience or like you know fictional experiences in your head? Uh, I really struggle with writing about fictional experiences because I think the devil is in the details. So interesting. Like when you, when you're writing about a real experience, you have the benefit of all the furniture. Like I can ask you, and it doesn't have to be my experience. I just have to find whoever's experience it is somebody, you know, I'm sitting with a songwriter and they tell a story and we can kind of grab off of that. And I immediately go, okay that experience, that emotion that they had. And let's say it's like, you know, losing a loved one, like losing a grandparent. And I go, okay, well, I, I haven't lost a grandparent of my own, but I did lose my dog when I was, you know, 15. And that made me feel this way. And then I start to draw those corollaries. I think when you have that real experience, you just have this wealth of subconscious furniture to draw from around the idea. And you can put in those little specific things. Whereas with a fictional thing, you're kind of making up and inventing this world and your brain's going as fast as it possibly can. But it's like one of those, it's like one of those old Hollywood sets from like the sixties where there's nothing behind the buildings. It's just mm -hmm. like the facades, like in the same way, I think there's a real depth that goes missing when you try to write about a fictional, like let's write about a dude in a club, you know? That is really interesting. Yeah, like that's a great example. You, you're you're a metaphor. That's why you're a songwriter, bro. Your metaphors are like top notch, dude. The, the one that stuck out to me the most that you said so far. I don't even know if you realized it, but you said follow the thread and hope you find a sweater. I'm like, dude, that's a Taylor Swift lyric right there for sure. I'm surprised she had. Like, I'm like, did you take that from a? Is that from Cardigan or something? You know? <laughs> like that was your metaphors are on point, man. So Thanks, that man. is so that is so so uh, so good. How do you find the balance between you know your own personal? craft and writing songs for yourself and writing songs that you you end up sending to other people uh that's a great question i for me everybody's different for me the song is king so i'm always thinking every song you know i try to pour my heart into every song as much as i can and then the question is where does this song have the best chance and have the best life mm. and if it's with x artist or if it's on x tv show or whatever i'm like okay great let's send it there and if it's like you know actually i think a, I'm really close to this song and it's reflective of what I'm doing with the brand. But B, I think I can give this song the best chance and make sure that it's not radically encumbered or changed away from the original vision. Then it's something that I do, you know? Which kind of plays right back into the, one of the first things you said, which is the humility aspect of it. Like, to, if you love a song, but you feel like it's going to be do way better with a different artist, that is a, a hard and humble thing to do. To be like, you know what? This is going to do, this is going to get a better spotlight over here you know i don't have to be the spotlight all the time kind of thing yeah so. no because it's not about that and also sure. i have a response I, like i write alone for my artist project and that's pretty much the only thing that i write alone for um usually i'm co-writing and i have a responsibility to my co-writers because mm -hmm. they're doing this full time and i'm like look if you come in and write with me i'm gonna do my best to look out for your interests 
make sure that your day wasn't wasted, food's on your table. Like I got to take care of my people. You sure, a hundred percent. What is uh, the the uh, do you have like a where, like essentially where is your heart for the future? Is it is it continuing to do songwriting or do you do you want to be the the artist that's now performing these songs these number one songs or do you is it both or? I love having an artist project because it lets me put out things exactly the way I hear them in my head. Interesting. And and I think it's easier. I've also worked with some creatives who really struggle to give up their vision in a songwriting session when it's for an artist, and I think it's a hard aged seasoned seasoned lesson to learn to work with an artist and go hey listen i am here to support your vision i want your creativity to come to life because you have to live with this song for the next 20 years on stage you know so conversely i think it's easier for me to walk into those sessions and go whatever you want man you want to just do four chords and not change anything you want to just do you know whatever it is great because i sat as i scratched that itch on my artist side Mm mm-hmm so like, I think it's a necessary thing no matter what, but at the same time, if it, you know, if the gods of the algorithmic Spotify universe decide to bless me with another insane experience, I would be even more excited because then I would get to turn around and go, okay, now I can put on all these creatives I love. I can bring in all these musicians I love and do tours and, and really take care of this, build this whole, you know, machine with all these great people and employ all these people and give these people opportunities to do music and not think about food. It's just a great thing. So I would love to be able to do that. Absolutely. So then how do you find the balance of like pursuing that, but also pursuing the songwriting career? It's for, I think there's kind of just a pendulum effect for me where I'll do do a bunch of writing sessions and like, okay, this is really, really fun. Okay. Now I kind of want to write some stuff that's sort of weird and get in my own head and then back and forth. That's, that's really interesting. I, I definitely relate to that. Um, is it, do you find it, it is, how do you, or, this, answer this however you best feel fit but is it ever a struggle that sometimes you write a song and it, it blows up with a you know a million streams with a different artist and like maybe i don't like you know a song that you write for yourself doesn't do as well um not in that sense because it's so there's so many factors at play that it's i don't find myself mentally competing with my with songs i work on that go with other artists because there's so much there's other teams and entities and connections and politics and all that stuff like there's it's so multifactorial i can look at it and go that's apples and oranges Mm. i I will say it's hard for me to compete with myself okay and psychologically as an artist i think it's one of the most difficult things is learning how to handle when you have a song come out and it gets half a million streams and you're like yeah I'm, i'm i'm doing all right and the next song comes out and gets like 15,000 streams and you're like, well, I'm getting worse. Like, if you were, <laughs> like you're like, yeah. if, I, you, if you were to graph the trajectory of my goodness, it would be just headed for the floor. Like mm-hmm. we all extrapolate those lines and think about the long-term ramifications. It's, it's really tough as an artist, I think, learning to deal with that. And it's something I'm still learning, but Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. I would very much relate to that. I've learned, <laughs> and I, I'm sure you've learned this also, but like, setting no expectation is the best ex- expectation you could set because as soon as you expect like you know, the first song i ever released i f- for some reason thought i was like i'm gonna get a thousand streams tomorrow and i got like three and i think two of them were myself checking if anybody got us do you know what i mean totally. yeah. <laughs> and you know like and like so it's like as soon as i let go of that it's like you know if this gets a hundred thousand or if this gets one at least I put the song out there and, and I, I, I at least come from the mentality of like, I put out a lot of content and including songs. So it's like, you know, if this one's not the one, then the next one will be the one or the next one. And at some point, just based on p- sheer probability, 
there's one in there kind of thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's something Toby used to always tell me, do your best and never expect anything. And I've kind of modified that slightly into enjoy the process yeah. and never expect anything. Because I think if you're having fun while you're doing it, you're always going to come back to the plate. That's but true. If, if you that's bury true. the fun and you make the fun contingent on results, that's that is, true. That's a fickle relationship, man. And it will hurt you <laughs> over that and over. That is true. That is a great point, man. Because it, it is fun when you're getting results. And as soon as you don't start get the results, it's not usually sometimes as fun. As fun. So learn yeah. to have fun even regard uh, separate. Of, that's a great point. <laughs> oh, man, that spoke right to me. So that would hit me at home. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I mean, it's. I don't think I think that this profession is one of the most mentally unhealthy professions to be in. Mm. It's just it's so volatile. And mm. there's so much bad information. And everybody's trying to get you to focus on the wrong things. And, you know, we all develop these mental models to like, find ways to survive and ultimately thrive. And I'm I'm learning every day that that's that's been tremendous for me. You know? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, man, it, it is very important to take care of your mental health for sure, because it, it can it sucks sometimes for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially the last year too, dude, like, sure. I don't know how, like, if you've had the same experience with people you've been talking to, but so many songwriters I've talked to, like really, really good songwriters who've had cuts that are crazy, have admitted to wanting to quit in the last year. Hmm. And I think it's been a really, really difficult time for musicians because music is contextualized by togetherness. And we've all been isolated. We've all been alone. And for those of us who've dedicated our lives to this, we're looking at it going, yeah. well, what's the point? You yeah. know, especially with what you said earlier with the fact of like now these song right now, these huge artists that, you know, might not have had the time to write beforehand, you know, are writing their own songs now or, you know, picking one artist, like you said, or one songwriter, like you said. So now that now there's not the abundance of work you put that into the play, you know, there's a lot of factors. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. What is your, uh, your process? So for example, like some more recent things, like more, this was like on the bottom of your list because it, it, the discography was going in order of year. So like some of the more recent stuff you like was like NC one, two set or one twenty seven or like mm -hmm. Sabrina Carpenter or like Olivia Rodrigo artists like that, or in general, how do you like, what's the ratio of actually working with artists? Because I think, people assume and I, I assume that it's not the case but people assume that you know if you have a songwriting credit with an artist that means you were in the studio hanging out with them and very often that i feel like that's not the case but what is your ratio at least what you would say is you know actually sitting down working with the artist versus you know um just kind of writing with a, a group of artists and sending it to the artist or that artist end up picking it up it depends um it's obviously harder to write a song and send it to an artist and hope that they cut it because they don't have any emotional investment in it out of the gates. Um, and I find that the artists that want to do that are either it's a specific scenario, like when you're writing for a TV show and you're serving the TV show hmm. and they're kind of picking the songs and then the artists are cutting them. That's one thing. Or it's an artist who's on tour and busy or is kind of a veteran and is going, look, you know, I don't have time to be in 30 writing sessions a day. So they're, they're willing to make that leap, but as artists that aren't on that level, like on crazy tours or on TV shows or stuff like that, they generally need to be, have an emotional investment in the song if you want to put it out. So I, I find overall, it's much more successful to sit and write with the artists in the room mm -hmm. with the sole exception, probably, or eh, there's a few exceptions with the exceptions of like K-pop is a little bit less like that. Cause obviously they're spending 12 hours a day 
you know, learning their craft, which is insane, mm-hmm. or DJs who, you know, aren't so much interested in the songwriting and are producing on planes between gigs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Typical, absolutely. That comes right out of any documentary of any DJ you've ever seen. Absolutely. Yep. So an interesting comment about what you said is, uh, you know, so I was speaking with Jerry Flowers, who is the songwriter who works a lot with like Sam Hunt and stuff and, and the, the country scene. And he's uh, he works with um, Keith Urban a lot or Keith Urban is his it's his bassist. He was saying that something very similar where the veterans are way more likely to accept pre-written songs than the newer people. And I'm curious why, you know, why you think that is. Um, A, I think the more you write songs like you, you have to get a certain amount out of your system before and really just approach a song like naked without any ego and go, dude, that's an awesome song. I should mm. be singing, this song. you know, like there's, there's a certain amount of hubris and maybe rightfully so that it comes in at the beginning where people are like, I have to write my artist songs. I'm an artist. I represent these songs. I have to be engaged. And then there comes a point in an artist's career where they're like, I just need to be singing the best songs on earth. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if I can't serve that best song, then somebody else can come in and help. Absolutely. I agree with that. But everything tying together again to that humility of being able to kind of let go of your pride of the whole, man, it's so important. The th- I think that the, the characters is like, and all these conversations I've had, you know, I think, I hope that people get out of this, like that, you know, the, 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 the thread that kind of ties it all together is the, you know, humility to kind of like, I don't have to be the, the, the center of attention doing everything myself, you know, the, the relationships that you build, you know, and, and just enjoying the process because otherwise, otherwise it just becomes miserable. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's a hard career to be in, man. It's a hard <laughs> career to get traction in too. You know, you sure. really have to find the little nooks and crannies of the business where the walls are lower. You can climb over and don't need, you know, the giant Trojan horse to get, get yourself through the door. Yeah. Um, if yeah. you were starting over today, what would you do today to start starting your career? Uh, I think that this, the, obviously the scene is always changing and especially sure. post COVID it's, it's changing even faster. Absolutely. Um, something that wasn't there before when I was starting out that I would totally lean into now is these micro licensing platforms. Um, something like a beat stars or like a splice or something like that. Like there's all these platforms where you can, there's a very low barrier to entry to put up your work and people find things on there all the time. You have all these customers who are all looking and you're starting small. You're starting with guys who are, you know, rapping in their bedroom or doing songs on their, you know, little MXL mic. I don't know what the, <laughs> what the affordable mic is of the day. And was MXL for me when I, when I started. Sure. I have one over here from what I, my, my old microphone. Absolutely. Before I oh yeah. I think everyone should have an MXL and KRKs. It's just, KRKs, yes. <laughs> passage, you know. Um, but yeah, I would I would lean into that micro licensing stuff because every once in a while lightning does strike on those platforms, and you do have sure. the old roads that come out of those. Sure. Um, but it also just yeah multiplies the places you can be in and the serendipity that can come from your copyrights. So are you saying essentially like okay, so you're talking more of like like the, the licensing than like actually putting a song up and people like buying it, whereas on Splice though it's more of like you know, you could like Cashmere, for example, like we'll put up his just tracks or his samples and people now, but now I know Cashmere's name because is that what you're talking about? Like doing something like that? Yeah. And you can do like, you know, for people who are vocalists, you can do vocal packs, which yep. they always need more of on splice and, and get people acquainted with your voice and getting to think of you as someone who's in the studio with them, you know? Yeah. yeah. 
That's interesting. That's an interesting idea. Yeah, you feature Jacob Restituto on a song. You know? I mean, yeah. And the the problem with music right now um, is everything is so long tail revenue. I think it's more than it ever has been, and it's really really hard to get into music because there's no way to get in and start making yeah. a check right away unless you get struck by lightning 400 times in a row. And if that I find, I've noticing that if that happens, the sustainability of that is so hard. Like, yeah, like, you know, I think TikTok's a great example because, you know, while it's super relevant in the music industry, there's so many songs that pop off and then you never, ever, ever hear the artist ever again. You yeah. Know, you know, and yeah, sure. They made a, 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 a hot buck that, that, that time, you know, they probably made decent money, you know, a label picked it up, whatever they had its six month run. But like, I think that the, the hardest thing in anything is actually turning that into something else. So you know, but the, probably the steady growth is probably the best way to go, you know, and maybe I'm just telling myself that because I haven't been struck by lightning. It's been this slow, steady growth, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> no, man, I mean, I, I look, I think it's a blessing. However, it happens. And obviously, yeah, absolutely. You, you think about like a serendipitous moment and like a lot of the serendipitous moments in my life where like the, you know, timeline, the alternate timeline that I'm on, like radically swung left or right happened in a 10 minute span. And then you think about the length of your life and how many 10 minute spans there are. Sure, the probability is low, but you're multiplying that over so many 10 minute spans. Lightning's actually going to strike a couple times in Absolutely. your life. The Absolutely. question is, are you going to be outside drenched holding an umbrella up or are you going to be inside like, dang, it's rainy out there. I don't know if I want to go out there, you know? And open to it. Like you said, <clears throat> some people are just not open to the opportunities because they have this distinct, hard written, this is how I want to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, I I would have never seen myself doing this on YouTube. I thought I was going to be a Spotify artist, put my songs out there on Spotify, you know, and like, you know, but it's it's still going in that direction. But it's it, it just I never thought YouTube would be the route to that. Absolutely. As of two years ago, like you would have asked me, you know, never would have thought that. Yeah, you but know? I mean, that's a testament to your ability to be like water in this case, not to bring it back to that, like, you got to go where the love is. I know? agree with that. That's, I'm a, yeah, totally agreeing with that statement. Yeah. And and there's so many jobs. People don't think about how many jobs there are in the music business. Yep. And people who are killing it actually need a lot of help. So if mm. you come in and you hit up a big producer and you're like, I want to produce songs with you, they're going to probably be like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> there's so many problems with that. But if you come in and say, hey, like, can I help bounce stems or like, I, I learned Melodyne. I'm really good at Melodyne. Can I help vocal tune? Like, yeah. Take some of those little tedious things, which are jobs yeah. in and of themselves, and say, look, like, can I just start there? And you just like throw me a couple hundred bucks. That and, is and, good. And the other side of that too is like the throw me a couple hundred bucks side, because a lot of people, you give them an inch and all of a sudden the demands are insane. Where it's like, people think, okay, I'm in the music business. I got to fight for myself. I got to like stay on my ground, get everything I deserve, blah, 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 blah. And people don't realize it's a serial transactions business. Like the people who are killing it are killing it because they have hundreds of successful copyrights out there. So if you're the wrench in the, the spanner in the works or whatever the phrase is, that is clogging up one deal, mm. that's not gonna work for them. They, they can't spend, and I've had a few deals that you know take six months because people are just obsessing yeah. over half a percent here, half a percent there, you know? Absolutely. It's, it's absolutely crazy. i i very much agree with that like kind of relates back to how the fact like i mentioned i, I put out a lot of like songs and content like when somebody's like oh yeah like 
it takes him like six weeks to write us like finish a song i'm like bro come on like this is this is a three-day process kind of thing or you know or a cover a cover song for you two i'm like dude like that's two hours max like like i'm more of a quantity and i think quality starts to come with the quantity you know but um and i think quality is subjective so something that you might like you know i might hate and vice versa and i think that that that's kind of why i go for the quantity um but yeah it is so interesting man yeah fascinating I think you just got to be, you got to be easy, you know, and, and really know that it is, it's all a long game. You're building a tsunami one stream at a time, you know? Yeah, absolutely. They're all little salespeople for you. And some salesmen do better than other salesmen. Yeah, man. I mean, like I, I've gotten to the point now, like my, while I was working in sync licensing, I was moonlighting for this uh, music licensing company that did mostly reality TV. And they would put a bunch of this stuff that I was making in my college dorm room into reality tv shows and that stuff is still on the bachelor to this mm. day the stuff that i made in college and my ascap page statements are like 600 pages long and it's like <laughs> it, it dude it's like a it's hilarious it's like 30 cents 30 cents 70 cents 40 cents 70 cents but it's 600 pages of that yeah you know so are you and talking more of like the instrumental kind of stuff that like they'll play between scenes and stuff totally That's like the quirky stringy you know all that stuff as Absolutely. soon as we get off this live stream i'm gonna tell my wife that you made music for the bachelor because she's she... <laughs> oh, she's gonna love that <laughs> yeah no i mean it was you know it's and that's another one of those things where at the time you know i was i'd graduated from college i didn't have a job nobody wanted to hire me and i was like dang how do i like create some value during this time mm. and i was just making all these little terrible sounding like string copyrights mm -hmm. and somehow uh josh young at atrium music was like yo i'm gonna bless this guy and i'll try and he ended up getting my stuff in a bunch of these shows and it's it's still there you know do you do you ever watch something on tv and be like oh shoot i wrote that i'm not gonna lie to you i made the stuff so long ago and also it's rather generic so you probably wouldn't even recognize it <laughs> I, I did that once too recently where I was like, you know, what? I'm going to watch the show. Cause I know my music's in this show. They let me know. And I watched it. And at the end I was like, I didn't get it. <laughs> Oh, that is funny. Well, it goes into the quantity of work. You said, you know, you, you got to put stuff out The people that succeed are the people that have the most stuff out there. So yeah. you just have such a large library of stuff. You don't even know. That's hysterical. That's actually really yeah. funny. <laughs> that is really funny. So, I, I think that in every time we write, we work with different artists. We have all these different stories, right? What is, do you have one specific story that sticks out to you that you're like, you, you don't even have to give the artist's name, but like that is like a funny, would like your favorite story to tell people when you when you like when you're like, oh man, when this happened, you were like, oh, I need, I can't wait to tell somebody about this situation. Oh man, that's a tough one because like I mean, there's there's so many stories, and it's always like a question of like you know what is appropriate to share sure we uh, I, have a, I have i have a different question if you want to sidecar that one because that's like it's almost like a hey what's your favorite song kind of question it's like well there's a thousand songs out there you know what i mean so i will say one one moment that was really special for me is i, I was one of noah cyrus's really early writing sessions like re like first 20 maybe ever and uh we wrote a song it's a beautiful song and we were wrapping up like the first day we had half the song written. It sounded like crap. There was nothing there. Like there, it was a, you know, terrible logic piano, <laughs> and like a barely a voice memo. And she's like, "Hey, uh, my dad's gonna come in and just listen real quick." 
and we and we were like like your dad like billy, billy ray Ray. Your dad, <laughs> yeah it's like oh god oh no oh no oh no and, and and billy comes in and he's just if you're ever in the room with billy he's like just this effervescent just personality like he just glows he's just a beautiful soul he comes in says hi super sweet sits down at the desk he's like okay press play sitting there and I, i'm sitting back on the couch like oh my god this is terrible like it's not nothing sounds good it's sure, not, sure and then it ends and he's like play it again and then we played it again and he was like he got all emotional and he was like man this is so good i'm so proud and it was just one of those moments where it's like you know what you think is terrible sure quality is subjective exactly might be really special to someone absolutely because that's his daughter one of his daughter's earlier songs absolutely but that is hysterical man that is so funny yeah speaking of speaking of actually noah cyrus and that that sparked a question in my head how do you like how do these relationships start like how do you you know your first one of your first times working with noah say right how does that even come about or any of the other artists you've worked with I mean, it's all definitely about trust and longevity for sure, because, you know, making music is kind of, I don't know how to do this metaphor in a not inappropriate way, but it's almost like a one night stand in a way where like you are like becoming emotionally naked with that person, like an hour after meeting them. And it's a lot to sit down in a room and be like, here's some of my deepest, darkest secrets, (laughs) you know? So I think as a result, these artists and songwriters are all protected behind these layers of introduction. And you have to have somebody go, you have to gain the trust of somebody who then says, you should meet this person. Mm. And, you know, I can't say how many people Toby put me on for like, that was one of those cases where she came to Toby's studio compound that I was working at, and we met and a session came out of that. And, you know, in a different life, if I wasn't there, and she didn't have that trust with Toby, because of his relationship, you know, it, it probably wouldn't have happened. So it's not something I take credit for, but I think it is something where if you're always thinking, how do I build a relationship with this person where they trust me with their intellectual property and also with their secrets? Sure. Yeah. Both of those are very important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you, um, oh, I just, I, I lost my train of thought with that question. Um, I, I don't even know where I was going to go with it, but, uh, it's my life in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Absolutely. <laughs> for real. That is funny. Oh man. Oh well. The I, I'll follow up with that, and I will wrap it up in a, a, a couple of minutes because I know that uh, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, the, the other question that I did have for you is: um, Is there anything in specific that you recommend artists starting out, or even not even starting out, they they stay away from things you've seen in the industry? That you're like, that's a bad idea. That's a bad deal. That's you know a scam. Anything like that. It's a broad question, but I, I'm curious because there, I, the reason I ask it, let me give a little backstory. Like, I feel like there's so many of those like, hey, submit your songs or pay $100 and maybe you can, you know what I mean? Like your song can be submitted to The Bachelor, you know, stuff like that. I'm curious if there's anything you can say about stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, in general, I think if somebody's asking you to be paid to listen to your stuff, <laughs> you're getting robbed one way or another. And I, I did it too, for sure. Like when I was you know, making music in my dorm room, I was paying 75 bucks on PayPal so that mm-hmm. some A&R guy would mm-hmm. listen to my song, you know, and, and it, it never happened. I, I think that there's a lot more ways that artists get robbed now because you mm. also have companies that are doing, you know, hey, pay us whatever and we'll get you all these plays on Spotify. 
And granted, those plays will destroy your algorithmic optimization and completely ruin the setup for the next release because now Spotify has no idea who your fans are and who to push the music to. Mm. But let's not mention that. Let's just take your 500 bucks or whatever and, and go on their way. So I think that there's a lot of companies like that wow. now that are really, they're, they're taking advantage of artists in that kind of new world. So I would say it's better to have 2,000 real streams than 200,000 fake ones as far as the longevity. Um, don't pay for streams. I don't really believe in paying for people to listen to your music. I don't know one story of that working out for mm, someone. Okay. Um, I think there's different ways to pay. Like once again, if you do something where you're like, Hey, you find a creative you respect and you send them an email, be like, Hey, can I unpaid intern for you and get you coffee or like take your car to Toyota or, or whatever? Like that's you paying with your time but it's you building a relationship and trust, not you being like, hey, here's my money, we're never gonna meet and you can run off and do whatever. Sure. Um, and I don't, most of the people I know wouldn't accept that anyways, which I don't know what that says about that. But yeah, I, I would say overall, don't pay for plays, don't pay to be heard. Um, and if there's anything contractual, get a lawyer. Mm. Just, just get get a lawyer like yeah so that segues perfectly into the question that i did forget now i remembered is the uh do you have management yes yeah okay. so i have management and i also have legal um and it's so funny i think a lot of people are really uh i don't want to slam this mentality but i think people can get really greedy in this business and think why should i give up you know 15 or 20 percent of my revenue to pay a manager or to pay legal or whatever it is and granted they have to do the work for sure but in no other business does somebody look at their revenue and go what do you mean i'm only walking with 75 <laughs> percent?" yeah exactly no nobody keeps 100 percent of the gross no you start an ice cream shop and you go okay i need to buy product yeah. i need to hire employees pay employees exactly. yeah i need to have rent like you are in this business where there's no hard costs pretty much yeah and you're looking at these employees who a good manager and there are few but a good manager is your salesperson they're your negotiator they're your like conciliary and your friends and mm -hmm. someone who like helps keep the mission and the goal in mind that's that's invaluable and you're mm -hmm. talking about Mm. only walking away with 75% of revenue for that. Like don't cheap out on yourself, hire a team to do things better than you can. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. How did you find your manager? I got really lucky, man. It was just, uh, he was, he knew a person at the studio that I was working at and we kind of got to know each other a little bit and he sort of was, I, I knew he was very talented, but I, I told him to his face. I was like, Hey, and once again, me being young and naive, I was like, I don't see the value in a manager, <laughs> a songwriter. I was like, look, I love you as a person. I love you. And it's great because it's his birthday today. So it's even better than I'm just slamming him right now. Um, but I was like, look, I, I don't see the value. And he's like, and he was like, okay, no pressure. Call me if you ever get in trouble. And there was one song that came out with a very high level artist that I can't name. Sure. And the, there was like nine people on the splits and four people who came in after the fact who were claiming all this stuff and trying to take all this stuff. And I called him and I was like, I don't know how to solve this. And in like a few hours, he had like done, he had moved heaven and earth. And I was like, okay, see, this is something that I should be hiring someone to do. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But now, so do they do like the relationships that you end up building with these say artists that you work with, 
is that your manager's like this does, does, does he he or she have a hand in that or is that a lot of stuff that you do on your own it's multifactorial and it, things come through different channels all the time sometimes I've always been surprised sometimes, you know, like my manager's buddy, who's not even in the music business is like, Hey, I have this awesome artist that you will want to work with. I'll bring him over. And that happens. Or sometimes I'm working with a songwriter and the songwriter is like, Hey, I've been in with so-and-so do you want to do a day of the three of us? Mm -hmm. You know, but it's, it's wherever it kind of comes from, they all come through these like really tight channels of trust. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the, the common thread. Absolutely. So wrapping it up, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time. I very much appreciate it, you coming on the channel. I think there was a lot, for the people that were watching, I think there's a lot of, and the people that watch after the fact, there was a lot of insight that they can get from this conversation. So thank you for taking the time. Uh, and then what is the best way for the people that, that are watching this now and after the fact to support you and what you are up to these days? Um, I mean, I'm on all the social medias as some derivative of Josh Cumby for Josh Cumby Music. <laughs> um so come say hi uh i put out original music every so often with my label uh avex in japan they're amazing if you like it listen if you don't like it tell me what you don't like about it so i can do better mm. <laughs> absolutely constructive criticism <laughs> i like yeah, it man because i'm always like at the end of the day as an artist we have to serve the creative consciousness and i, sure. I always like to get feedback whether it's good or bad absolutely somebody, as long know? as somebody's not a jerk <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Like, don't just tell me it's bad because that'll just oh. make me sad for like 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah you know, for sure, for but sure. tell me it's bad because, and yeah. I will take that and run with it. You 100%. know, like, I think it's just about being engaged with the creative community. And I love being engaged with the creative community. So, like, find me on anything, send me your questions or ideas or, or whatever, like, whatever you're thinking about. And I just, I like being a part of this little fabric. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of the links for your social media are already in the description so people can check check that stuff, your YouTube and all I think your Instagram is welcome there. So last question for you wrapping it up is what is a song that you have not written that you wish you wrote? Oh, oh my God. Yes, let's go there. Um, it would be hard for me to choose, but I would say lately, uh, All Time Low by John Bellion was playing. Oh, really? A Long Island boy. Shout oh. out to Long Island, man. That's where I'm oh. from ridiculous that was amazing really? when i heard tequila by dan and shay for the yeah, first sure. time i was like i hate everything <laughs> like i i don't think i wrote a song for two days after i heard that song because i was like this is so brilliant like somehow the verse is only like two seconds long and then the chorus comes in and it's just like nuclear it's so good yeah um insane love that uh i really really love there's this girl ashley kutcher that just put out the song called mm -hmm. if i could uh, I'm really into that right now. Uh, I've also been into this Spanish artist lately called C. Tangana, um, who's like incredible if you want to mix it up. I, there's so much that I'm a fan of. And I'm just like, I listen to it. And I'm like, I don't know if I could, if I would have made that worse or, <laughs> but I'm just a fan. And not to like turn this into a long answer. Uh, no, please. I, hey, I'm loving this answer. So go for it. I realized a few months ago, um, that I needed to take a step back, like take a couple days and find music that was new that I was excited about. Mm. I think there's the music that inspired you to start making music and you always have that and it's always close mm -hmm. to your heart. But there comes a time in your career when you've been doing it for a little while and you start to hear the stuff coming out and you start listening to New Music Friday and you're like, man, no offense, but half of this just sucks. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> like, I'm not saying I could do a better song than all of it, but I was, you know, a lot. <laughs> and, 
and what you don't realize is that that thought process, even if it's true, breeds this like secret resentment within sure. you where you start to feel like the game yeah. is rigged and I can do my best work and nothing good will come of it. And I think the cure, like the antidote to that is to seek out new things that are great. Mm-hmm. And if you can't find it, you need to start asking people and ask people, hey, what are you excited about? What are you listening to? Find the artist that maybe didn't make New Music Friday, but still has you know a couple million streams in the song where you're like, holy crap, this is so good. And it just came out and it proves that new mm. music can come out right now that is just epic and inspiring. And I think and if you're- does well. Exactly. And, and, and well, look, it's not Dua Lipa, you know, 600 million streams or whatever. But if you, once again, going back to the serializing thing, if you've got 20 of those going, you know, you're paying your rent. Yeah. Are you familiar with the artist Russ? R-U-S-S? I've heard his, I've heard the name, but I have so, not heard the name. Okay. So the fascinating conversation really quickly is he, he talks a lot about that. He has a lot of songs released and this, like, he's like, you know, like several million a month, like listeners on Spotify. Like, like that's what I love about the internet age is like, it's become so segmented. This guy has probably like, I don't know, like 5 million, six, seven, eight million monthly listeners on Spotify, or even maybe even 10 million, like a decent amount, like where the guy is making, you know, his goal sometime this year is a million dollar month based on his streams. Totally. So it's like, so like with all these songs, he has, it's the repertoire that he has. And, and, but the funny thing is like, you know, he's got hundreds of thousands or, or millions of streams every day, you know, but like not everybody even knows his name, which is mind blowing to me because like that, it proves the fact that there is so much money to be made and you don't have to be Dua Lipa or Ed Sheeran yeah. or Taylor Swift, you know, and, and still make a million dollars in a month from TuneCore. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, cause he's not even signed to a label. He was signed to Columbia, didn't like it dropped out and you know this is why you know it's wild yeah yeah uh have you ever worked with john bellion because i know he does a lot of ghostwriting uh no not yet i like know people who work with him but i we haven't uh officially ended up in the same studio yet Mm. so he's on my like my short list of like people who i'm just think creatively i love being the dumbest person in the room i'm sure absolutely i couldn't agree more with that I have that list of like people who I would feel like an idiot in the room with. And he's definitely on that list. I love that. That is a great model to live by trying to be oh, like always looking to be the dumbest person in the room. Cause there's so much you can learn from it. That is a great, I love that. That is good. <laughs> that, we'll, we'll wrap it up on that. So if you could just hang out for two seconds, I want to say thank you to everybody that did, you know, made it this far. You guys are the champs for making it this far in the interview and everybody that watches it after the fact. Thank you so much for watching. Definitely go check out Josh's stuff. You know, check out his Wikipedia so you can see the insane list of of stuff that he has worked on. But thank you so much for watching. Thank you, Josh, for... All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to that podcast. I really hope you enjoy it. If you want to see the video version of any of these episodes, you can check them out on YouTube. Uh, It'll be at Jacob Restituto, the Tuto Talks series. Uh, Hope you enjoy this. And also, if you want to see clips or anything like, you know, your favorite clip of it, you can see it on TikTok or on Instagram, just everywhere. Uh, But best way to get in touch with me if you want to say what's up or have any questions or want to follow up is by texting me two different numbers. You can text me at 631-250-6950 if you're in the U.S. Or WhatsApp is 1-833-575-0948. You rock. Thank you for being a part of Team Tuto. God bless and peace out.